Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Happily promoting the four Fs. Freedom, faith, free markets, and fun. Mojo Five O. I have a dream. One day. This nation will rise up, live out the true meaning of its creeds. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created in Black men thinking. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. Black men thinking. Anytime you throw your weight behind a political party that controls two-thirds of the government and that party can't keep the promise that it made to you during election time and you are dumb enough to walk around continuing to identify yourself with that party, you're not only a chump, but you're a traitor to your race. Black men thinking. If we lose freedom here, there's no place to escape to. This is the last stand on earth. And this idea that government is beholden to the people, that it has no other source of power except the sovereign people, is still the newest and the most unique idea in all the long history of man's relation to man. Whether we believe in our capacity for self-government or whether we abandon the American Revolution and confess that a little intellectual elite in a far distant capital can plan our lives for us better than we can plan them ourselves. Black men thinking, 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 thinking. In this present crisis, government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. Black men thinking, 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 thinking. Stanley Levy, Black Men Thinking, here on the vanguard of personal freedom, personal liberty, and personal responsibility, Mojo 50 Radio. Also, WDDQ, Talk 92.1 FM in Valdosta, Georgia, WJHC, Talk 107.5 North Florida Talk Radio, Freedom in America Radio.com, and WLBB News Talk AM 1330 and FM 106.3 in Carrollton, Georgia. Happy again to be with you. Um, want to wish a happy belated birthday to my older sister, uh, Doretta Levy. Hi. I don't know if she's listening or not, but hi. Happy birthday. Um, <clears throat> I want to get into something that is not being talked about very much, but it's probably one of the more important things that are happening, uh, that's happening at the moment. It's not directly dealing with George Floyd or Ahmaud Arbery, because that is starting to come up again with pretrial motions uh, going on. It's not dealing with the uh, 
with the um, protests or the looting or the rioting. It's dealing with something that's actually more important and more fundamental than that for the country. And it's dealing with a barber in the state of Michigan. So before I get to the actual things regarding the barber, let's kind of do a little bit about Michigan. And actually some of the uh, other things going on in the nation at large. You might recall that there was a big issue in Michigan. They started off with a, uh, I believe it was a April 15th protest where people simply clogged up the streets of Lansing, the capital of Michigan. Uh, Michigan. But they went on from there and they had a protest where people entered the Capitol building, some of them armed with, uh, with <laughs> well, they were armed with long rifles. But the idea that it was limited to Michigan is would be a bit of a misnomer. Here is what um, Inside Edition had to say about these protests back on the 1st of May. It's something that underscores just how frayed nerves are over the coronavirus shutdown. Some members of the Michigan State Legislature are wearing bulletproof vests today, still reeling from the demonstration during which some protesters were carrying assault weapons. But it's not just in Michigan where people have had it. Lawmakers in Michigan are taking extra precautions today after the Capitol building was overrun by protesters, some of whom were armed with semi-automatic weapons. My colleagues who own bulletproof vests are wearing them, tweeted one representative. I'm not embarrassed to say that I was afraid. Now the president is weighing in in support of the protesters. These are very good people, but they are angry, he tweeted. They want their lives back again. See them, talk to them, make a deal. Governor Gretchen Whitmer is standing her ground. The worst thing we could do is to abandon all social distancing, to pretend like we are done with COVID-19. Maine's Governor Janet Mills is also under fire today for keeping her state in lockdown. I would love to share Janet Mills' cell phone number with everybody. This angry restaurant owner gave the governor Governor's private cell phone number out on Fox News. It's 207. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> 491. Okay, on, wait, wait, we you. can start a revolution and come up and let's get the state back open. In North Carolina, this guy wants to know why the guns. If you want to have a reasonable conversation with somebody, you don't show up armed. And Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker is facing tough questions after his wife reportedly skipped town to ride out the pandemic at their $12 million horse farm in Florida. Where's the first lady? Has she engaged in non-essential travel? I'm just not going to answer that question. It's inappropriate, and I find it reprehensible. The anger we're seeing across the nation is not surprising. There is real suffering out there. The unemployment rate has hit 18%, a level not seen since the Great Depression of the 1930s. And some governors are responding to the pressure. At least 33 states have now eased their own rules, while some other states extend orders to stay home. And reported infections continue to rise. Dr. Anthony Fauci is urging caution. There's no doubt in my mind that when you pull back mitigation, you're going to start seeing cases crop up here and there. And if you're not able to handle them, you're going to see another peak, a spike. I'm Jim Moran in Newport Beach, California. The governor has shut down the beaches in this county, but there are at least two dozen surfers in the water. Police are patrolling the parking lots and lifeguards are on the sand, but no one seems to be enforcing the shutdown. Surfers tell us they don't care about the ban. They're going in the water anyway. A large crowd gathered in Huntington Beach to protest beach closures. Not much social distancing here. Meantime, thousands of cruise ship workers stranded at sea are appealing for help today. Ryan Driscoll is a singer aboard the Seaborne Odyssey. 
he's been stuck on the ship off the coast of Barbados for 50 days. We're going crazy. <laughs> Definitely have some cabin fever. Um, we're calling it the Twilight Zone. Uh, we can see the shore, it's 200 yards away, and yet we can't get off the ship. Now, here's where I want to go with this. Um, one of the things when I got out of that clip was an overriding, well, an undertone. Undertone? Overtone? Doesn't matter. Where you got government being anxious, being on the defensive, government even being afraid. And I'm reminding of that, reminded of that saying, that uh, saying that some uh, attribute to Thomas Jefferson, when the people fear the government, there's tyranny. But when government fears the people, there is liberty. So for me, hearing that the gov- that the uh, legislature in Michigan were wearing bulletproof vests because they were afraid, to be honest with you, I find that quite exciting and positive. I know how people feel about, well, you can't, do, you can't have discussions with a gun. Let me break that one down. The guy's saying, well, if you want to have a discussion with somebody, a reasonable discussion, you don't show up with a gun. Yeah, you do. Because that's how the government shows up to any discussion that they have with you. They're not telling the state troopers to put their guns down. They're not telling the state police to put their guns down. I was recently at the um, Open California or, you know, Free Cal. I can't remember what, exactly what it was called. Um, but there was a rally in Sacramento on the 23rd of May. I was there. There were snipers on the roof of the Capitol building. Nobody in the crowd was armed that I could see. I was there. But they had snipers on the on the uh, on the top of the Capitol building, and those rifles were pointed at us. What you want the people to do is to walk in with no weaponry against a government that keeps its weaponry, and then try to debate and argue and discuss with that government the terms of equitable treatment and proper governance. Really? How do you think that's going to work out? And you heard. It was not just in Michigan, you had California, you had stuff going on in Vermont. The people have been over these restrictions. They're like, this, we're done with this. Let us go back to work. Let us open up our businesses. And the governors, mostly Democrats, listening to the um, nonsense science of those who are being put forward as experts, have been very slow to go in favor of liberty. And that's a problem. Now, an interesting thing to me was the reaction of the uh, Michigan governor. I call her the Stepford wife, uh, Governor Whitmer. Whitner is it Whitner or Whitmer? Whatever. Um, she, because there were threats made. Oh, you can't make threats against governors. Like, can I ask you guys a question? Who do you think really that the state government governance belongs to? Is it the people who are elected, or is it the people who elect them? And if the people who are elected are out of step with the people who elect them, what is it that you expect the people to do? I'm not surprised that when you take somebody and take their business, take their livelihood, put their family in a terrible financial situation, and the creditors who are also in there are still like, man, I need my money. I don't have your money. And you start this vicious cycle. I'm not surprised that people are getting threats, and I really don't care that they're upset that they're being threatened because they're not having a lot of concern for the damage that they're doing to me. Well, we have to stop the virus. There have been viruses. There are always going to be viruses. There's a virus every year that kills tens of thousands of people. Every year. You don't shut down the economy for it. 
and now you've doing you've done this, and guess what? People are unhappy. Um, but in Michigan, the Stepford wife governor took special umbrage, of course, at being threatened. At least she felt she was threatened. And on the twelfth of May, we got her reaction <laughs> in in part to what had happened before when people had come in with guns uh, at the Capitol. Meanwhile, Governor Whitmer is addressing the threats that have been made against her over her stay home, stay safe order. And this comes as another protest is planned at the Capitol for Thursday. This morning, uncertainty remains on whether those demonstrators will once again be allowed to carry loaded guns outside and inside of the Capitol building. It's right now a law that allows it. Nick Monticelli reports a meeting on that matter turned ugly fast yesterday. Good morning. I'm sure you remember this video, the protest that took over inside and outside the state capitol. So the Michigan Capitol Commission met to talk about a potential gun ban inside of the building. But then during their Zoom conference call, they got what's called Zoom bombed. So many people on there interrupting, they couldn't have their meeting. Armed protesters at the Capitol in the last two weeks had some fearing for their safety, including one Detroit senator who put on a bulletproof vest while she was sitting on the Senate floor. It has sparked the debate of whether to ban guns from the building and whether the rhetoric around the governor's closure of the state is creating violence. I'll just say this. As I said um, many times, I know that people are frustrated. And I am very disappointed that the Capitol Commission didn't take action today to keep legislators safe. We've heard a lot of stories of legislators who are very fearful of going to work after scenes that we've seen play out here. I'm concerned about the safety of people who continue to demonstrate and congregate without wearing masks and without best practices. And I'm increasingly concerned about the violent nature of the extreme comments that are being made around these organizations and groups that are coming together. The Michigan Capital Commission, which oversees the building, met yesterday to go over this issue, but got different legal opinions on whether they are the ones who can say yes or no to guns in the Capitol. The Capitol Commission does not assess public policy. The legislature does. The Attorney General disagrees with that assessment. The Zoom meeting on the issue was interrupted by people being inappropriate and obscene. So the meeting ended early with no final decision. And while all this is going on, we've been hearing that there is yet another protest scheduled for later this week, again at the state capitol. I'm Nick Monticelli, Local 4 News Today. So Governor Stepford wife talks about the extreme violence or the extreme, the extreme, extreme. Can I ask you if anybody was even injured in any of the Michigan demonstrations? the ones with or without people having guns with them. Was anyone injured? Was anyone even physically accosted? So contrast those violent rallies and dangerous comments and everything that the governor is saying with the so-called peaceful George Floyd protests which have seen buildings burned, people violated, and black folks killed in some in, in protests that are supposed to be featuring Black Lives Matter. Are you serious right now? And of course she's afraid. But she's a special case. She 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 really is. Because despite her fears and despite the protests, she just got it in her mind that she is queen, not governor. And she just has to go ahead and make sure that she is protecting everyone. So on the 7th 
of May, she decided that she's going to take the existing stay-at-home order with which Michiganders were increasingly tired and extend it a little bit longer. We begin with 7 Action News reporter Jim Kirstner live with these big developments and how they impact you. Jim, a lot of people getting back to work. That's right, Alan. The auto sector, the largest in Michigan, now getting back to work. And since it involves thousands of people, let's spell it out again. The auto suppliers start on Monday the 11th. They will ramp up and fill that auto supply chain. The big three will put workers through orientation. They will resume on the 18th with production being phased in. Manufacturing is an important part of our economy, there's no question. And as we've done the risk assessment, we feel comfortable that with these safety protocols, we can safely re-engage. The governor has relied on input from the Big Three and the UAW to establish these safety protocols to make this major decision. UAW says they will be watching safety in the factories and proceeding cautiously. The governor showed a map of regions and populations and still defends not opening businesses, including restaurants, bars, and stores with in-person transactions. In fact, she's extending from May 15th to May 28th the stay-home orders. And while she's being sued by Republicans, she says she's on firm legal ground. We know that even in this phase, we are still safer at home. And that's why we'll be extending the order through the 28th, because we are still safer at home. This 77-year-old barber in the small town of Owasso has become a cause celeb, bucking the governor, opening for business. Local police have given him a ticket with a $1,000 fine, but he's still working on customers coming in from long distances. The governor says Shiawassee County in mid-Michigan has had 196 cases and 13 deaths. She's not ready to open these close contact businesses. The protections and that work that we've done is to protect the barber as well as all of his um, all of his clients. And so that's why it's really important that we continue to to be smart to do this in incremental stages. Governor says she's now open 25% of Michigan's economy and to stay safe they will continue to do tracing, testing and treatment and if the COVID-19 numbers goes up she says she's ready to dial it back down. That means closing some of these businesses. Reporting live downtown, Jim Kirchner, 7 Action News. And it is good to see some of the economy starting to re-engage. Jim, thank you. So, because she, who is no expert, relying on experts who have been consistently lying. And remember, there, there, is, uh, there are states who never close down. One, uh, South Dakota, yes, a small state, small population, never closed. Never, never close this economy. And the people of that state are absolutely in love with their governor for actually respecting not only their liberty, but also their intelligence. Not treating them like children, which is exactly what the Democrat part, never mind. Um, <laughs> but you really do have to understand what we're looking at when you see this stuff. Let's go back to that barber, the one who was bucking the governor. He got tickets and he still, he still wouldn't shut it down. You know, so I'm a self-employed barber. I can make adult decisions for myself and all the people that are sitting in this, in this barber shop today have made an adult decision for themselves. I don't need uh, the governor to be my mother. I have one. You know, God bless her, she's gone now, but uh, I don't need another mother. So I can make these adult decisions myself, and I can uh, take care of myself and run my own business the way I feel that I need to run it. 
when she said that we were going to, I closed down on March 21st. That was the end of it for me. And uh, it was going to be a couple of weeks in which chances are we'd be back to work. Well, then it turned into another two weeks, and it ended up being, you know, the 1st of May that we were going to be uh, brought back. And then the 1st of May, okay, that was really six weeks. You know, my God, I don't know if I can go any longer. I've run my credit cards up. I've, you know, I've done all kinds of stuff. Um, and then uh, she decided it was going to be the 15th of May. And, okay, geez, now I don't know. I can't do this. Well, then when it became the 28th of May, it, it, it just killed me. It just, I mean, I just went to my knees. I collapsed. I just I couldn't do it. I cannot go without income that period of time. I, can't, I just can't do it. You know, i got a small business here. I've been in business since 1961. I've taken care of myself and my family. I, I can't just, you know, I'm scared. Uh, to tell you the truth, you know, I didn't know whether I was going to be the only flag out here waving in the wind or what, you know, just kind of waddling by myself. But I didn't really have any choice. I had to work through those fears and be uh, get some courage and open up. You know, I'm still fearful that, you know, maybe I'm going to get arrested. You know, maybe I'll have a big fine. Maybe, uh, you know, that... Uh, Oh, maybe I'll lose my license. You know, I mean, it's all these kind of things that you, you have fear. But I, I had to charge through those fears and decide, uh, you know, I really have to do this in spite of that. We're going to have to work through it and have enough courage to be able to do this. So now I, I'm doing it, you know. And uh, politicians are playing the political politician games. And, you know, we're the pawns out here supposedly somehow or other supposed to wait until this coronavirus passes. That could be when Jesus comes. You know, I don't know. It's just a. It's not something that's going to be. It's going to be with us for a while. I'm not a scuffle. You know, I don't want to appear like I'm. You know, this this rebel lawbreaker. It was something that uh, I have to do. You know, it's. It really is. It's something that I had to work through the fear of doing it. And, you know, uh, my wife supported me, and uh, my kids supported me, and uh, you know that was a do what you have to do, Dad. You know, and and I did. So, you know, I'm, I'm just, uh, just a kind of an ordinary guy, ordinary barber here in Owasso. Make adult decisions. The Democrat Party, specifically the progressives within it, and let's not be fooled into thinking there are no Republican progressives, they don't think you can make adult decisions. They think those decisions need to be made for you. You'll notice what he said, I don't need another mother. And of all the things he was afraid of, he was afraid of what the government would try to do to him for him simply trying to exercise economic liberty. He was afraid of not being able to earn income so he could take care of himself and his wife, apparently, still married. He wasn't afraid of a virus. He was not afraid of a virus. The majority of the American people are not afraid of a virus. We see This is not the first virus that the United States has ever encountered, just for those who aren't aware of that. The man was very clear. i got to work. The governor who... And let me remind you guys of something. I, I, I don't know if I should have to, but I'll, I'll just put it out there. Everyone who is telling you not to go to work, every government official who is shutting you down, can you tell me how many of them are missing a check? Are they still getting paid? You're not getting paid because you have to go to work, you have to run your business, so if you're not running your business, you're not making any money. Are they missing any checks? Is their direct deposit not working? 
Because I have the feeling that if they had to endure what they asked you to endure, then these lockdowns would have ended a long time ago. Maybe that should be something that is um, baked into state law. If you close the economy, then you also need to stop paying government employees. They should not get a pass when it's the government that is keeping us from being able to earn money. You should not be able to earn money when you're telling us we cannot. But the thing I got here, and I just want to bring this up so I can close this out and move over to the next segment while I'll continue. You had the people of Michigan and people in other places fed up with these lockdown rules. They got so fed up in Michigan that they stormed the Capitol, went into the building with armed uh, AR-15 and other weaponry, which is legal. They broke no laws. They harmed no one, no bones broken, nothing like that, and definitely not someone killed. You can't say that for the so-called peaceful protests associated with the George Floyd movement. And one person that we're focusing on after the governor of Michigan just cavalierly told people, you know what, y'all just need to stay shut down because I'm not sure you're going to be safe. He just basically said, and the horse you rode in on, I'm going to do what I got to do. $1,000 in fines. He still got to do what he's got to do. She wants to shut him down. She doesn't take it very well. But there's more to the story. And we're going to take that up in the uh, next segment. Stanley Levy, Black Man Thinking. We'll be back right after this. Hi, it's Doc Thompson for Matthew 25 Ministries. Matthew 25 Ministries is one of the few charities I'll actually endorse because I know them. I've worked with them. And I know almost all of the money that you donate goes to help people. Go to m25m.org. m25m.org. Fast Track Student Loans can get your student loans out of default, stop any wage garnishments, stop collection calls, and stop seizure of your tax refund. Give yourself a break. Stop the stress and get your student loan payments down to as little as $25 a month based on what you can afford to pay. You could be the special someone for billionaire Yusaka Masawi. He wants to go into What's space. What's a Masawi? 20 bucks, same as downtown. Because if you suck in one, you need right? to know what it is. Yeah, you do. He's a 44-year-old <laughs> Japanese billionaire. He has started a campaign to find a female partner that will be his companion for his moon and space exploration happening. He it's wants not... to have sex. Right. That's what this boils yeah. down to. Yeah. Um, is he looking for females? Uh, yes, because he says single women okay. age 20 or over. Shit. <laughs> where, where have you been with this story? No, dude, I was thinking, you know, I'd have sex with the dude if, if I could go out into outer space with a billionaire. Would you? Really? Come yeah. on, dude. I do a lot of things for a little bit of money. You know that. He gets effed every day of his life. Uh, every day. Yeah. I mean, why not? Yeah. Why not get a, why not get a on, ride? Brad, you know you do it. Yeah. yeah I think <laughs> I would. Weekdays, 8 Eastern. 
You know what makes you feel really good about yourself? Doing something good for somebody else. And if you'd like to do that today, go to JDRF.org. Join them in the fight against type 1 diabetes. JDRF.org. It's something good you can do for the world. JDRF.org. Everybody else in Michigan, um, small business owner, couldn't work, uh, corona lockdown, protests came and went, and then there, were ex- there was extension after extension after extension of the lockdown order from, govern- from the uh, Stepford wife, governor of Michigan. He finally said, I can't do this anymore. I have bills. I'm running up credit cards. I'm, I'm getting no relief here. While, of course, the Stepford wife governor was getting her check. And the legislators were getting their check. To their credit, the GOP, the Republican um, state legislatures, state legislators, excuse me, in Michigan, were opposed to the governor's actions, but they didn't stop them. That's all that really matters. I, you know, I don't want you. I'm with you in spirit. I, you know, spirit doesn't pay my bills. Okay. Now, if God wants to move and pay my bills, I'll do something. But you being with me in spirit ain't going to bust a grape. Ain't going to feed the bulldog. Not happening. So, Mr. Mankey opens his business. He continues to run his business. They come and they cite him. And and I think he had at least $1,000 in fines. And he kept working. And, of course, they were going to come and and physically shut him down. The local police were not on board with this. They were simply following orders. Man, you know, what do I got to do? And, by the way, the police are still getting their check. (laughs) This is amazing to me. Everybody who takes your money by force. They confiscate your money to make sure they have a check while they keep you from getting a check. And you sit back and you allow this and you wonder why people call you sheep. I don't know why you would be surprised if folks think of you as sheep. Well, you know what? We petitioned and, and we, we showed up and we made them scared. They're not scared of you. They're not scared enough. If they were really, you know what? If they really thought that the people were going to take over and shut this thing down, their lockdowns were like, no, we're not doing that. And we're going to come and tar and feather your sorry behinds and get you up out of the Capitol. Guess what? Those lockdown orders were, well, you know, we met with the experts and we found some ways we can do this. But since they think you are going to go along with it, and Gretchen Whitmer is one arrogant female. These are not suggestions. 
These are not. Now, these are orders. I chick, who the heck are you? As Mr. Mankey said, I don't need, I, I, you know, I had a mother. I don't need another mother. I know what I got to do. And you don't respect that to the point where you're going to sit up here making your money, keeping me from making mine, and telling me that you need to do what, I'm, what I say you need to do so that you can be safe. I don't need to be broke and safe. I'd rather be sick and solvent. Well, you know, coronavirus kills. So does the flu. So does the flu. So does every other virus that, that sweeps through. Viruses kill people. Rule number one. Rule number two, you can't change rule number one. How many does it kill? That's the only issue. And we are finding out, of course, that COVID-19 has about the same death rate as the flu. So why am I, why am I shutting anything down? Nevertheless, Mr. Mankey's situation... Uh, became a bit of an issue because now he's in a bit of a micturation or pissing contest with the governor of the state over whether or not he should be able to run his business. Stop and think about that for, for a minute. You are in a running disagreement with the governor of the state as to whether or not you can run your business because she thinks it's not Seriously? When has the government ever had the charge to keep you safe from a virus? Or any other illness? When, when did that become a government responsibility? I, I didn't see that in the Constitution. I don't even see that in the Declaration. I don't see that anywhere. Where I need to lay aside my liberty for the government to protect me from a virus. Anyway, interesting thing is, though, the legislature, not the, excuse me, not the legislature, the judiciary in Michigan had also sided with the people and grown tired of the Stepford Wife governor's nonsense. The battle over a mid-Michigan barber shop rages on tonight. A 77-year-old barber in the small town of Owasso continues to operate, defying the governor's executive orders. Today, the barber got a big win. A judge ruled in his favor, allowing him to stay open after the attorney general tried to shut him down. Alicia Bergio from our Flint affiliate spoke with the barber and his lawyer today. The courts are going to be deciding these things. Are these executive orders legal or not? It's our position they are not. David Coleman, Carl Mankey's attorney, saying in a Monday press conference that his law firm will back Mankey all the way up to the Supreme Court if they have to. Certain businesses are favored, they can open. Other businesses are unfavored, they stay shut. And their businesses get destroyed. That's what we're fighting in this case. Last week, Mankey was given two citations from police in a health protection order demanding he cease operation or he would be shut down. On Monday, his sign is still flashing and Mankey is still up and running. I had to get back to work. I feel that it's my right to work. An emotional Mankey overwhelmed by the crowd. I cannot believe the support that I've got. <laughs> 
people even driving from out of state to get a tram. I came out here from Norman, Oklahoma, and I came out here to support this fine gentleman. I think it's fantastic. I'm really glad to see everyone here. Those who oppose his decision, including the governor, feel his barbershop being open is putting people at risk. But I expect people to follow the law. These executive orders are not a suggestion. They're not optional. They're not helpful hints. This is an order to prevent the spread of COVID-19. Despite the backlash... I'm going to stay home until Jesus comes. Amen. The Attorney General's office did send us a statement saying even though the judge denied the request to shut Mankey's business down, they are trying to request a hearing on the matter as soon as possible. I told you she was arrogant. These are not suggestions. These are not helpful hints. Uh, this is an order. Really? So she thinks she rules you as opposed to her working for you. How many of you would talk to the person who pays your bills like that? Who pays your salary? But a judge said, no. And the attorney general, you know, getting paid again, while Mr. Mankey is not. Of course, now he's out there making money. And they're actually using their salary to go after his salary and keep him from having one. Wow. Wow. So the judge said, we're not doing that. Not doing that. Now, fast forward to just this um, this past weekend. And something remarkable occurs. And I'm looking at the New York Post right now. Where it had a uh, June 6th headline. Michigan Supreme Court sides with Barber who defied coronavirus shutdown. A 77-year-old Michigan barber won a legal battle with Governor Gretchen Whitmer over her coronavirus shutdown orders in a stinging, unanimous decision of the state Supreme Court. Full stop. Unanimous decision of the state Supreme Court. Not only were you called wrong, Governor Stepford wife, everybody thought you were wrong. Wow. It is incumbent on the courts to ensure decisions are made according to the rule of law, not hysteria, Justice David F. Viviano wrote Friday. I guess that was the fifth. The court's 7-0 decision vacated a lower court's order upholding the state's attempt to shutter the barbershop owned and operated by Carl Mankey in Owasso, Michigan. Mankey reopened his shop back on the 4th of May in defiance of Whitmer's orders, keeping salons closed to prevent the spread of coronavirus. Here's a nice quote from him. Either Jesus comes, they cut my hands off, or she resigns, one or the other. In short, bump you. I'm going to sit there and run my business. And the Supreme Court agreed. The good Mr. Um, Mankey and his lawyers showed up on uh, Fox News uh, back on, on the 6th. 
and he uh, gave an interview to, I can't remember who the gentleman's name is, but this is what he had to say. Well, we've been following his story from the very beginning. Now a defiant barber making the final cut in his legal battle with Michigan. The state Supreme Court ruling that he can stay open after defying his governor's stay-at-home order amid COVID-19. That Michigan barber, Carl Mankey, joins us now. Carl, thank you so much for joining us, and congratulations. Uh, you stood your ground when lesser men would have given in, uh, and you said, I have a right to be open. Talk to us about this victory. Well, you know, I think for the most part, uh, it's come to this conclusion that our governor was trying to make an example out of me, uh, but I don't think she realized that uh, she was up what she was up against. I was not about to stand down under those tyrannical conditions. You know, she's uh, she's taken a, a pretty stubborn approach to ending this quarantine, and I think it's probably to maybe advance her politically, you know, in her party, but not at the destruction of the Michigan economy, and that's what it's cost us here. And I don't think any single person should have this much power to begin with, you know, especially over business. Now, from what I understand, she's using a contact tracing. She's hired a contact tracing company to trace everyone that's been in this barbershop. It's really kind of a uh, tyrannical approach, kind of a state, a police state approach, you know. So, you know, I, I don't take much stock in what the experts say anyway. You know, they, I remember one of my old mentors used to say, he said, well, he says, a, an expert, he says, an X is a has-been, he says, a spurt's a drip under pressure. So, I, you know, I realize that some of these guys may have some credentials, but for the most part, they've been wrong. Carl, so, you know, I think the, a lot of these masks are just nothing more than a symbol of compliance. Carl Mankey, very well said. We're going to bring your attorney now as well, who I believe is also on the line, David Coleman. David, chime in here. What does this mean legally for everyone in the state of Michigan? Well, Pete, let me just start by saying it's an honor to represent America's barber here, and we're very pleased with the Supreme Court decision. And Justice Viviano said clearly in the order that it's important for courts to follow the rule of law, not hysteria. And so it's it's great that Michigan uh, folks here, their constitutional rights have been upheld. And, uh, you know, we've raised a lot of constitutional issues here, mm -hmm. equal protection, you know, favored businesses versus unfavored businesses, the guarantee clause, we're all entitled to a representative form of government. But, you know, we've also raised First Amendment issues here. Carl's really engaging in symbolic speech. It, it, conduct can be speech. Think of the flag burning case. It's kind of ironic sure. here, Pete, because, you know, we have a situation where Carl's not burning the flag. He's trying to preserve the flag Absolutely. through what he's doing. But it's still speech, and he's still protected. Carl Mankey, we don't have much time left, but I, I want to give you the last word. What do you say to other business owners who haven't done what you've done? What should they be doing now? Quit hiding behind their chairs. Step out. You know, stand up. Open up. And, and for heaven's sakes, I'll tell you, it's like the field of dreams. People will show up. <laughs> they're, 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 in, they're in full force, ready to break the doors down to business and get back to a if normal. You, if you build it. They will come, and that has happened. Carl Mankey, listen, I, uh, you're a hero to me. You're a hero to many. Thank you for your courage and your clarity for standing up for the Constitution. God bless you, sir. Congratulations on the win. You. Go cut some hair Thank now. You. I know you will. I love it. <laughs> you look like you need a haircut. I do. I do. I'd like to make a trip. Count me in. Count me in. Thank you, gentlemen, you so much. It's a constitutional issue. And not just the Michigan State Constitution the United States Federal Constitution. The whole idea with all of these executive orders, going back to the ones that Trump put out there, and 
let me say, let me go ahead and make this really clear. Um, if I'm breathing, I'm voting for Donald Trump in November. If I'm breathing, I'm going to vote for him. If I'm angry, I'm going to vote for him as in the, in the same manner in which Democrats vote. I'm going to vote for him early. I'm going to vote for him often. And oh, by the way, if I'm dead, I will vote for him at least one extra time. I am going to support this president. I do not support anything that he did that shuttered the national economy. Particularly not listening to that knucklehead and all-around evil guy. Yeah, I said it, evil guy, uh, Anthony Fauci. Anthony Fauci is a snake. That's a different discussion for now. But that man lied consistently. And he just kind of varied his lies a little bit as time went on in every effort he could to keep people scared and to keep them home and to keep them away from each other and to keep the entire country shut down. That's evil. Because even he, who was also getting his check, by the way, he didn't miss any checks. Anyway. But the remedy here was not the streets. Now let's contrast this. I want to make sure you understand this. Yes, the, Michi the uh, people of Michigan did protest. They clogged the streets in the Capitol on the on the fifteenth uh, of April, I believe it was. They came back later, uh, two weeks later, and went into the Capitol building, uh, some with rifles, and scared the government, which I think is a wonderful thing. I wish people would go into Congress and scare the bejeebers out of Nancy Pelosi. I wish they were allowed to do something like that. I wish somebody... I, this is what I really think. I don't think Congress should have protection. I don't think they should have security. I do not believe that they should be able to make their decisions and, and make their statements with absolution and the people not be able to respond to them directly. That's what I believe. Well, you know, uh, it's dangerous out there. It's dangerous for folks. It's dangerous for everybody. Why should it be safe for you? Particularly when some of the things you do is the reason it is dangerous for us out here. Why should you get a pass? That's just one man's, uh, you know, just one man's opinion. It's a heck of an opinion, trust me. But it's just one man's opinion. What I wanted to get to now, though, is, as I said, this was a, the judiciary stepped in and basically told the governor, you can't do that. You can't just, on a whim, no legislation, no nothing, just your motherhood instincts, if that's what they actually were, and tell folks that you are shut down and you can't go anywhere until I say. And that's because I that's because I'm trying to keep you safe. As though you're as, as though you're an expert and as though you're a queen, you are royalty, 
and you are now someone with a crown on your head who gets to tell people what they can do and everyone else is supposed to sit back in awe of your wisdom and leadership bull crap a judge stepped in and said no we're not going to let you shut him down then seven judges on the Supreme Court stepped in and said no you don't have the authority to do this and I believe the governor wants to appeal but it's kind of a moot point because as of now her orders that involve uh, close contact businesses using her term such as barbershops and hair salons that lockdown order expires on the 15th of June which is a week away don't think you're going to get anything done in the courts by a week and if she even tries if she even looks sideways and tried to extend that again that ain't going to happen so now let me tell you the rest of the story Donald Trump what's Trump got to do with this well let me play this for you and then I'll get then I'll follow up on that the Trump administration has done more to shape the courts in just one term than any other president in recent history a strategy that will affect the laws of the land for decades to come since taking office Trump has nominated a whopping 234 federal judges 174 of those have been confirmed Now, those confirmations are broken down by the US District Courts the US Court of Appeals and the Supreme Court. And while the president has two Supreme Court confirmations under his belt, Justice Neil Gorsuch and Justice Brett Kavanaugh, the Court of Appeals is where the Trump administration had the most influence. Right now, according to the Federal Judicial Center, more than a quarter of active judges in the United States are Trump appointees. For context, President Trump has named a total of 50 judges to the appeals court. Compare that to President Obama's total of 55 during his entire eight years in the White House. And at this point, it'll Obama's presidency, he had only confirmed 24 appeals court judges. Well, why does this matter? There are 13 appellate courts that sit below the Supreme Court. They are designed to review whether or not the law was applied correctly in a trial, and the decisions made by appeals court judges are usually the final word in a case. Now, keep in mind, these judges serve lifetime appointments, so their tenure could last decades. And even if President Trump is removed from office or defeated by a Democrat in 2020, his judicial appointees will still hold the power to push a conservative agenda. So again, the question is going to be, so what does that have to do with Michigan? What does that have to do with anything you've been talking about? Um, you know what happens with certain issues? Because you heard from the lawyer for Mr. Mankey that they weren't just raising state issues, they were raising federal issues issues with the United States Constitution. Were you aware, you heard what the, um, uh, that, that spot, but let me give you an update because that was talked about, I think it was like January or something like that. Through May of this year, Donald Trump has had 194 judges confirmed to the federal bench 
And that includes the two um, Supreme Court justices, Gorsuch and um, Kavanaugh. 194 appointees. Well, is that a big number? Well, 28% of all federal appeals court judges are now Trump appointees. 21% of all federal district court judges are Trump appointees. Three federal appeals courts, Second Circuit, Third Circuit, Eleventh Circuit, have flipped from being courts that had a majority of Democrat-nominated or, or, you know, yes, Democrat-nominated judges, now their majority is Republican-nominated judges. The Ninth Circuit, which is known by a lot of people as the Nutty Ninth because of all the reversals that happened, well, Donald Trump is doing something about that. They used to have, I think it was 18 to 7, an 11-seat majority where you had Democrat-nominated judges in the majority over the Republicans. They had an 11-seat advantage. It is now down to three. So when people start taking matters up in state court and not finding satisfaction, and it is a matter that can be appealed to the federal government, well, you're not going to find the same number of left-leaning judges that you had during the Obama administration. It's not going to happen. You know what else it's going to do? You know how it's going to affect state judges? Because, see, when you know something can be appealed and you know the reputation, you know the mindset, you know the thinking of those who are going to review your decisions, it might impact how you choose to rule. Because at the end of the day, I don't know that many judges at any level who like being told in writing that they got it wrong. Because that's what happens when you get reversed on appeal. You have people who outrank you in the hierarchy of the judiciary saying, no nah, man, no, nah, that wasn't it. Fix that. So I'd imagine a few state judges, knowing that one or more Trump judges will be looking over their shoulders, will take care to ensure that their rulings aren't going to be shredded by a higher court. That just makes sense. And that's just one more way that Donald Trump is looking out for you. I'm going to turn this over to my good friend, Ron Edwards, and after that we'll be back with Hour 2 of Black Man Thinking. The recent death of George Floyd in Minneapolis was, of course, needless and stupid. There is absolutely no excuse, but perhaps there is an underappreciated wicked reason for Floyd's needless death. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, George Floyd died after a struggle with Minneapolis police officers who confronted him because he matched the description of a suspect in a forgery case. 
at a grocery store and that he resisted arrest. After taking George Floyd to the ground and subduing him, the four officers should have had enough brain power amongst them to figure out, hey, let's place handcuffs on him, take him in and figure out the crime situation. Instead, the idiot officer proudly left his knee on the back of Floyd's neck, looking like he was trying to grind it into the concrete. The only part of Floyd moving at this time was his mouth as he hollered, please, 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 I can't breathe. After which he called out his mother's name and died. This travesty was either carried out by four dummies or was part of a grand scheme to provoke riots and blame President Trump for such evil behavior. I'm Ron Edwards. Check out theronedwards.com. Ron Edwards, the new voice of America. Sponsored by the Tri-County Liberty Coalition. is the seditious, rabble-rousing, liberty-loving, home of fun, entertaining, and compelling talk. Mojo Five-0. Breaking news this hour from townhall.com. I'm Keith Peters. President Trump says there's room for improvement in police conduct, but we can't give up the finest law enforcement in the world. White House correspondent Greg Clugston has more. The president is vowing to explore possible police reforms after the death of George Floyd. We're going to work and we're going to Talk about ideas, how we can do it better and how we can do it, if possible, in a much more gentle fashion. A thing like happened should never have happened. But he stresses he's opposed to defunding or dismantling the police. There's not going to be any disbanding of our police. Greg Clugston, Washington. The Minneapolis City Council voted to defund its city's police department. The state of Minnesota launched a civil rights investigation of the department last week, and the first concrete changes came Friday in a stipulated agreement in which the city agreed to ban chokeholds and neck restraints. A federal appeals court orders the dismissal of challenges to the Trump administration's Muslim travel ban. A three-judge panel of the Fourth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals has ordered the dismissal of legal challenges to President Donald Trump's ban on travelers from predominantly Muslim countries. The panel ruled a federal judge in Maryland made a mistake when he refused to dismiss three lawsuits after the Supreme Court upheld the ban in 2018 in a separate case filed in Hawaii. The ban was put in place in January 2017, just a week after Trump took office. It applies to travelers from Iran, Libya, Somalia, Syria, and Yemen. Travelers from North Korea and some Venezuelan government officials and their families are also affected. Mike Gracia, Washington. Los Angeles prosecutors say they won't charge thousands of protesters arrested for violating curfew and other police orders. The city had the largest number of protest arrests in the U.S. tracked by the Associated Press. The city attorney said Monday that he will develop an alternative without punishment. On Wall Street, the Dow up by 461 points. More on these stories at townhall.com. 
gold. Thinking of like the new Ralph Lauren loin girder. Did you, did you, did, can you imagine the, uh, the commercial for it though? Moses is wearing it. What are you? <laughs> Defenders Live, weekdays, 9 p.m. Eastern, Mojo 5 Hi, it's Doc Thompson for Matthew 25 Ministries. Matthew 25 Ministries is one of the few charities I'll actually endorse because I know them. I've worked with them and I know almost all of the money that you donate goes to help people. Go to m25m.org, m25m.org. Mojo, Sam Sorbo. So Steve Beeman, he's going he's gonna to talk to us about the economist view of the coronavirus. Relief is good, right? The idea is good, but they say that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. So talk to me about this. Sam Sorbo. I honestly, looking at this from an economic standpoint, can look at you right now and hearing you on the radio say it no longer is a world where one plus one equals two. You, you think that this is just sort of folly? It's kind of one of those that you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Let's mm-hmm. try to support the independent business down the street. The key to this is that this independent business community and the 1099 contract workers go ahead and take the step to file for these benefits. To my friends, I've been saying that I'm optimistic and I think that we're going to start turning this around. This will end. Let's not give in to something because we're in the middle of it. Fantastic. I so appreciate you. Thanks for coming on the program. Sam Sorbo. Mojo five zero. Well, if you said the world has gone crazy, I think 99.9% of the Earth's population would, in fact, agree with you. Here's the thing. You can never be too prepared for the craziness that's happening all around you. Keep your head while others are losing theirs. Go to preparewithmojo50.com. You will find an emergency food supply with a big discount because you are a Mojo 50 listener. It's not about uh, panic. It's about being ready for anything. Preparewithmojo50.com. High capacity, fully automatic, large caliber, freedom. Mojo 5 I have a dream. One day, this nation will rise up, live out the true meaning of its creeds. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created in Black men thinking. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. Black men thinking. Anytime you throw your weight behind a political party that controls two-thirds of the government and that party can't keep the promise that it made to you during election time and you are dumb enough to walk around continuing to identify yourself with that party, you're not only a chump, but you're a traitor to your race. Black men thinking. If we lose freedom here, there's no place to escape to. This is the last stand on earth. And this idea that government is beholden to the people, that it has no other source of power except the sovereign people, is still the newest and the most unique idea in all the long history of man's relation to man. Whether we believe in our capacity for self-government or whether we abandon the American Revolution and confess that a little intellectual elite in a far distant capital can plan our lives for us better than we can plan them ourselves. Black men thinking, thinking, In this present crisis, government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. Black men thinking, thinking, thinking. 
Stanley Levy with Hour 2 of Black Man Thinking here on the vanguard of personal freedom, personal liberty, and personal responsibility, Mojo 50 Radio. Also WDDQ, Talk 92.1 FM in Valdosta, Georgia. WJHC, Talk 107.5 North Florida Talk Radio. Freedom in America Radio.com and WLBB News Talk AM 1330 and FM 106.3 in Carrollton, Georgia. I want to talk about something. I actually, actually posted on Facebook about it, but I didn't get into it quite the way I wanted to. So I want to I want to bring this up. Now we're going to start talking around what I call the edges of the current ridiculous drama. And this is kind of directed at all the people who are drinking the uh, George Floyd and um, Ahmad Arbery Kool-Aid and believing that this is the most important thing and this is the moment uh, this is what we've been looking for and finally you have all this stuff and and you hypocrites you racist hypocrites let me tell you what I'm talking about we know nothing about what actually happened in the George Floyd case but we've made all manner of decisions Uh, the cops need to die, the cops need to be convicted, the cops need to be this, the cops need to be that a lot of stuff is being speculated and I find it interesting that I have all these people, not just black people by the way who have determined that the cops need to fry, they need to go down, they got to do all that but even the gentleman who is responsible for prosecuting the case doesn't see this as a slam dunk. This is the interesting thing to me. So the less people know, the more they are for convicting these cops. But the guy who probably has the most complete view currently of all the available information surrounding the case is like, I don't know, we're going to get there. What does that tell you? Now, everybody cares about that situation. Let me back up to 2017. Because there was a another situation. And people didn't talk about that. It is something, it was horrific. If you think, this is what kills me. I, I got sick to my stomach watching the George Floyd video. Really? Let me tell you about another situation. Happened in Baltimore. And it really explains to a great extent why I could not care less about a near career criminal from Texas who turned his life around to become a porn star in Minneapolis who gets high on meth and fentanyl and then ends up dying in the street because he wanted to resist arrest on an alleged $20 counterfeiting charge. I'm going to say it up front. I do do not care about that dude. I don't. Let me tell you why. I'm going to give you two scenarios. There's a black man in Minneapolis. There's a white girl in Baltimore. Let's call the black man in Minneapolis um, scenario A. So I have a white cop who, when he comes to assist junior officers who are having trouble making an arrest, he holds a black suspect down who refused to go and remain in the police car. 
He holds him on the ground, which seems to be where the man wanted to be, according to the probable cause statement for issuing a charge to begin with says. The suspect says, I can't breathe, which is likely not true if one can talk, and then later dies, but not from asphyxia or strangulation. And that happens in May of 2020. Now, is that racist? Or could this situation be actually more racist? This is scenario B. A black daycare worker who goes to her normal workplace and suffocates an eight-month-old white girl who refused to take a nap suffocates her with blankets. Where the black man got to say, I couldn't breathe, the, um, the eight-month-old child was unable to be heard. She had blankets covering her face so she could not breathe. And you can see the video, because there's video in both of these. You can see her on video with this black woman suffocating her, and you just see her little legs kicking in desperation as the life leaves her body. You tell me which one sounds on its face like the more racist situation. Now in scenario A, the white cop denies wrongdoing. As far as I know, he expressed no animosity toward the, um, toward the black man who died. And as I said earlier, the prosecution has already said that they're not sure that they're going to be that's going to be easy convictions. Now, interesting to me, there's a guy in Dallas who's a former prosecutor, has nothing to do with this case. He thinks it's going to be easy. Of course, he's not trying the case. And I think one of the reasons, I think there's two reasons why the case is not going to be easy to try um, for the prosecution. The, the the district attorney in Minneapolis had already said, had already determined that it was only worth a, a, a third-degree murder charge until there was an amended ME report, and then he bumped it up to second degree, which carries a higher burden. But I, I, I'm, I would be shocked. No, I would be surprised if they can carry that. If they can um, sustain that burden. So again, the white cop says, "I didn't do anything wrong." Okay. He expressed no animosity toward the deceased, as far as we know. And the prosecution acknowledges the case against him is no slam dunk. Now, in scenario B, the black daycare worker acknowledged that she killed the kid. Of course, they got her on videotape. And it said of her victim, I hate this little female canine. Kid's eight months old. What can an eight month old do? that would make you hate them. That is what she was reported saying before she actually did plead guilty to first-degree murder. So, help me out. Which culprit here seems most likely to have been motivated by racism? The white cop or the black daycare worker? The one who expressed no animosity toward the victim for any reason? Or the one who spoke of hatred for an infant before suffocating her to death. Interestingly, at least to me, 
coincidental harm the white cop brings to the black guy, that has now become the justification for looting, for violence, riots. And I want to be careful when I say that. He said, what are you talking about incidental um, or coincidental? Because the cause of death does not say anything about asphyxiation doesn't say anything about strangulation. So when everybody talks about the knee that was on uh, George Floyd's neck for nine minutes, and they decry that as the worst thing that happens, it didn't cut off his airway. Well, he had neck compression. didn't cut off his airway. Well, what are you saying killed him? I know what the ME said. The ME said he had a heart attack. The ME also said the guy had uh, coronary artery disease and that he also had hypertensive artery disease. He wasn't healthy. The medical examiner also said that the man had methamphetamine in his system and fentanyl in his system, both of which will definitely help you get a heart attack particularly if you're someone who's not well on a cardiovascular level and in, a, in an intense physical struggle with anybody. It's not good. For that reason, I am almost ready to call the harm that the cop did to the guy based on what the medical examiner is saying coincidental to his dying. If that cop had not put his knee on his neck and we had the same struggle trying to get him into the cop car, because for those who don't recall, he started complaining about not being able to breathe before he ever went to the ground. They had him standing up outside the police car and he started saying, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. But then when they try to put him in the police car, he fights, he resists, and he, and he, he won't go. They did everything that I could imagine to get him to go, and he purposely, and this is the determination of the district attorney, he went to the ground on his own. He wasn't pushed to the ground. He wasn't thrown to the ground. He went to the ground on his own as part of his effort to avoid getting into the police car. And he said, point blank, I'm not getting in the car. And he was going to fight getting in that car tooth and nail with coronary artery disease, hypertensive artery disease, methamphetamine, and fentanyl in his system, both of those substances are known to cause heart attack. For that reason, I'm almost ready to say that the damage done by the knee, since there was no strangulation, there was no asphyxiation, was coincidental. That's all, and that's, that's all I'm basing it on. I'm just basing it on the facts of the case. So that coincidental harm the white cop brings to the black man who dies, somehow that becomes the rallying cry for looting, for violence, for wanton destruction, for killing black business owners, for killing um, black and white police officers. So we have all this death and destruction 
because you guys think that the white cop did something terrible when the evidence is not as clear-cut as you want it to be. I'm not saying you won't be convicted. I'm not saying that. I'm saying the evidence is not as clear-cut as you want to think it is, and it's not just me saying it, it's the prosecution. Now, the harm that was done to that eight-month-old child was intentional. It is unimaginably cruel. It is unmistakably evil to pin an eight-month-old down with blankets and pillows over her face knowing she can't breathe and as she kicks trying to extricate herself and in desperation and is suffocating you just keep it going until you know she's dead and this is a white little girl being killed by a black young woman who knows that this white little girl is powerless against her which one of these scenarios seems the most racist the little girl's name was Reese Bowman never heard of her did anybody hold any um, rallies for her were there any marches were there any babies lives matter oh well I'm, I'm sorry because I know if we're talking about progressives babies lives don't matter you guys I don't even know you know in some ways I think well why do you bring this up because we're talking about progressives they, they, they like killing babies they don't have a problem killing babies Democrats don't have any issue with killing babies they want to do it while they're still in the womb to give themselves this imaginary cover that they're not killing a human being or a human child, they want to do that. But I know that black, I know that uh, black people, especially, let me, I'm going to say, it, I know you're going to get mad, especially black people who have the highest abortion rate of anyone in this country, they have no problem killing their own children. So why would I be surprised that they would kill somebody else's infant child? I wouldn't be surprised at that. Oh, you're, you're, it's two different things. No, a dead baby is a dead one. It's not that different. You just want it to be that different. And I understand how you want it to be different because it's horrific. But having your actions be coincidental and a factor in the death of a black man about whom you said nothing negative, is that more likely to be a racist maneuver than a black woman saying she hates a little white girl and then suffocating her to death in a daycare center? That's, that, that's my question. That's my open question. And I, don't, I can't get anyone to give me an answer except to say, well, that's terrible. It's so terrible. Really? So why did you ignore it when it happened? That's, that's, that's what I want to know. Why did, why did you ignore it when it happened? And there's some other um, relevant facts, I would say. But um, let's kind of go back to the community response. Black guy dies and um, 
the black community becomes the same self-destructive people they've been since 1965. For those who don't remember, that is when the the Watts riots occurred. And for those of you who, like myself, live in the Los Angeles area, you can go into Watts and still see what hasn't been repaired, rebuilt, or attended to in any significant way since 1965. They destroyed it and left it that way. Now, how did the white community respond to the first-degree murder of of a helpless infant, eight-month-old infant, at the hands of a cruel black woman? I didn't see any blank Lives Matter rallies. I didn't see any torching of businesses. I didn't see any police officers having to be, you know, ha- ha- having, having to take their life in their hands to go into the crowd. I didn't see any protesters. I didn't see any concern whatsoever. Now, also lost in the discussion are what I consider a couple of relevant facts. Because we're always talking about racism, racism, racism. That's almost all you hear from black people, particularly um, those who vote Democrat and are on social media. Racism, uh, white supremacy, systemic racism, uh, white privilege. Okay, yeah, all right. And they're trying to kill us. The, The police are hunting us and everybody. Okay. Blacks kill twice as many whites as whites kill blacks. Twice as many. Actually, more than twice as many. So who's hunting who? Also, another relevant fact. Because it's all about what the police are doing to us and how, how they're killing us and you can't turn on the TV without uh, uh, seeing a black man getting abused by the police and getting killed and he's unarmed. Really, in 2019, police officers killed nine, count them, nine black men. Well, that's nine too many, maybe. But police officers are police officers also killed 19 unarmed white people. Can you name one unarmed white person who was killed by police last year? Anybody. Because if you hang around enough black people, there are are a number of them who have taken it upon themselves to memorize the name of every black person who's ever been killed by the police it seems and they can they can rattle them off with no problem but white folks are seeing twice as many people get killed as you and for some reason well you think that you think they don't you think they love their family members and friends less than blacks do? I would find that hard to believe since the murder rate in this country where blacks are concerned, either as victims or perpetrators, 
It is horrific. It's horrific. When I put all that together, the case for police brutality and for systematic racism in policing is more an emotional than a factual argument. Nine, and you talk about whites and blacks together, a grand total of 28. You know how many police interactions there are between uh, law enforcement and the public on a given basis? Anywhere from 40 million to 70 million. And you're going to tell me 28 people died out of anywhere from 40 to 70 million interactions? And you think that's a police brutality epidemic? Wow. So, if I look at the homicide statistic, the notion that whites in or out of police uniform are hunting blacks is, it simply is not borne out by the facts that are available. Blacks are lying about police brutality. Blacks are lying about the hatred that whites have for them and not being honest about the hate they have for whites and more importantly the hate they demonstrate one toward another. They're not doing that. This is the type of stuff that needs to stop. I'm not I'm not angry. I'm discouraged. Because right now, we have good black people dying in the streets about whom nobody cares, and then you find someone else who's a questionable person who may not have even been murdered. We don't know that yet. And all we can do is hold up signs and and demonstrate for that as though nobody else is important. I can't go with that. I won't. And it's why this movement called Black Lives Matter will never, let me repeat, never catch on with the American people until Black Lives Matter is more than a hashtag that blacks toss out to try to shame whites into bending to a progressive agenda. Stanley Levy, Black Man Thinking. Be back right after this. You know what makes you feel really good about yourself? Doing something good for somebody else. If you'd like to do that today, go to JDRF.org. Join them in the fight against type 1 diabetes. JDRF.org. It's something good you can do for the world. JDRF.org. Real food, real people. There are foods that are known to be aphrodisiacs. On Spoonie Radio. Watermelon is an aphrodisiac, a luscious fruit to feed to your lover. 7 p.m. and 1 a.m. Eastern. Pomegranate is known as the love apple and stimulates your no-no square. And whenever you're ready, on Spreaker.com. No one likes to think about disasters or what could happen to you or your family 
If you find yourself in the middle of one, look around you. Don't you wish that uh, maybe a few months ago you had gone to preparewithmojo50.com and picked up an emergency food supply? The reason is not that you're panicked. The reason is that you want to be ready for anything. Look what happened at the grocery stores in the last few weeks. There are others out there who tend to lose their minds when things aren't normal. You, however, are smart. You know how to do things the right way. You know how to be prepared. You know how to take care of your family. And it shows. I mean, you listen to Mojo 5 So go to preparewithmojo50.com. You will find a special deal for you as a Mojo listener on a food supply, an emergency food supply that will ensure that you have enough food for you and your family for months, however long you decide you need the supply for. It really is a great deal, and it's about being ready for anything. Preparewithmojo50.com. Hi, it's Doc Thompson for Matthew 25 Ministries. Matthew 25 Ministries is one of the few charities I'll actually endorse because I know them. I've worked with them. And I know almost all of the money that you donate goes to help people. Go to m25m.org. m25m.org. finish out the show, several topics I want to talk about, no particular order. And if you notice, I'm not really going directly after all the drama and I consider what I consider silliness uh, that we have going on in the country right now because of um, ostensibly tied to the George Floyd death. But I want to draw a contrast for people. Because I think it's really important, and for those who don't understand a lot of why I do what I do, I know that what black people do today is not, that's not real black. It's not. The whining, the she-emotionalism, I mean, it's almost every black man that I run into needs to call Frank Thomas and get themselves a free bottle. There's almost no testosterone in any of their conversation. It's almost, it's not almost, it's saddening. All the emotion, all the blaming, all the victim mentality, everything's about how bad we have it. I have people in their 20s talking about what happened 400 years ago as though, what the heck are you going to do with what happened 400 years ago? When you got Pookie and them killing folk in the street today and they're not white they're not white and the people they're killing are not white but you're worried about the white man from 400 years ago as though any of them are still around you're not acting like black people you're definitely not acting like the black people who were able to change the mind of the country so that segregation was defeated. Yes, defeated. Well, there's still racism. I don't care. I get really tired of people saying, you, you deny racism. I don't deny racism. I don't care. 
because of those who came before me and what they did, I have yet to have racism keep me from doing anything that I wanted to do. Racism didn't keep me from going to a good high school in Atlanta. Racism didn't keep me from going to Georgia Tech and graduating in four years. Racism didn't keep me from being an Air Force officer for nine years. Racism didn't keep me from getting a college degree and a master's degree. Racism didn't keep me from changing careers in my 50s from being a project manager to being a network engineer. Racism didn't keep me from going into a new field and becoming a six-figure earner. Racism didn't do any of that to me, and it hasn't stopped anybody else I know who wants to succeed without regard to color. It just hasn't. Not anymore. We're not talking about the 1940s. We're not talking about the 1920s. Speaking of the 1920s, this is for the next knucklehead, because there always is one, who trots out the uh, Tulsa massacre um, as their black uh, victimhood uh, signpost. See what y'all did to us? This is uh huh. They they kind of miss what what happened there. Nineteen twenty, you had the horrific event. Black man was, um, I believe, falsely accused of raping a white woman, I believe it was. And the whites destroyed the black community. And it was a very prominent black community, a very important black community in America at the time. Tulsa was known as Black Wall Street. Businesses, residential, everything was going good. And then it was destroyed. And I mean destroyed. And we have people out there just they 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 roll that thing out every chance they get to talk about how bad white people were. And I say, yeah, you know what? Uh, that's pretty bad. But let me tell you about black people because in 1920, whites burned down the Greenwood area of Tulsa, Oklahoma. They just tore it apart dropped bombs on it from airplanes and everything. By the end of 1921, the residents of Greenwood had rebuilt more than 800 structures in their neighborhood. By June of 1922, virtually all of the area's homes had been replaced. By 1925, the National Negro Business League was holding its annual conference in Tulsa indicating that Black Wall Street's stature as an economic force had been restored. I'm reading from an article, of course. And this is in um, the ringer.com, Black Wall Street, African-American haven that burned and then rose from the ashes. Because they never tell you about how, the, how it is that black people brought that place back. You very rarely hear about that. And over the ensuing decades... Greenwood continued to thrive. More than 240 businesses populated the area by the early 1940s. Musicians such as Nat King Cole, Louis Armstrong, and Duke Ellington played in the neighborhood's jazz clubs. Are you, are you serious? 
Greenwood is something more than an avenue. It is an institution the District's Chamber of Commerce declared in 1941. The people of Tulsa have come to regard it as a symbol of racial prominence and progress, not only for the restricted area of the street itself, but for the Negro section of Tulsa as a whole. Those are real black people. We don't have that today. That's the problem. You want to know what what the black problem is? See, back in 1920, when whites came in unjustly and torched the place, the real black folks did a serve pro on that situation and by five and five years down the road it was like it never even happened that's what real black folks do they don't cry victim they don't curl up in a ball and talk about the racist whites they take their situation and make it better Because in the 1920s, all the way up into the 1940s, racism was a real problem in America then. Segregation, racism, just animosity toward people because they because of their skin color. That was real. Yet and still, when all was taken, the response was, you can't keep us down. Contrast that to the so-called black community. That's why I call it so-called. The ones that sucked up all the war on poverty cash and every form of public assistance available has found its way into the hands of blacks, primarily black females. And like I said, Watts hasn't been rebuilt since 1965. That's when it was torched. Can you name any riots that happen now, aside from the ones that are going on today, which are definitely being instigated by organizations um, that are white? I have people talking about white supremacists, right supremacists. Let me help you out. If you really want to go for that okie doke, you do that. You do that. Well, the police say they got somebody. You'll always get somebody, but the likelihood that they're going to do anything no matter how they're plotting, it just doesn't happen that often. But George Soros pays people to show up and, and loot. And you don't want to talk about that because you think those white kids share your ideology. They don't give a rest behind about black folks. They never did. Ferguson been rebuilt? What about West Baltimore? Have any of these places, those parts of Cincinnati, Chicago, what was torn up in 1968, how much of that has ever ever been rebuilt? They rebuilt Tulsa in five years. That's my problem. For anybody who really wants to know what bothers me about today's black people is that they just don't have the character, the drive, the resilience 
pride of blacks who suffered a lot more than they ever will. And all you um, you guys out there posing now talking about Black Lives Matter, let me help you out with Black Lives Matter. When an octogenarian billionaire Nazi sympathizer who's also a one-world government advocate, when he can go out and find and pay homosexual black females to carry a message of injustice against black men, because I suppose that no black men are willing to carry that message, and there's no uh, heterosexual women who are really to, ready to carry that message. So he went out and found them. When you can't identify a single instance in which this lesbian-led organization has either identified or addressed the issues of the persons responsible for the greatest loss of black lives. I haven't seen Black Lives Matter going out and protesting abortion. I haven't seen Black Lives Matter going out and protesting black-on-black um, -black, uh, murder which is responsible for 93% of the homicides. I haven't seen them do that. I haven't. And when that same lesbian-led group influences increases in attacks upon police and increases in the homicide rate in places like Baltimore. Do you know that the homicide rate in Baltimore after Black Lives Matter showed up to do their support methodology or whatever they did in the wake of the Freddie Gray incident. You ended up with a homicide rate in Baltimore that had them dealing with more homicides in 2015 than New York City, which is a city which has 13 times the population of Baltimore. And it hasn't come down. Thank you, Black Lives Matter for showing up and seeing that more black lives are snuffed out. I really, I don't, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you for that. And now, you're going to dance to their music about something else. Well, you know, George, George Floyd, George Floyd is nobody. And all the somebodies who are black who are dying are the people that you ignore. The business owners who've been who've been killed, the honor students who get beat down and shot, the young people who are just starting out on their on their professional careers and they just find they just wind up in the wrong place at the wrong time between a couple of black folks who don't care who they kill. They don't care. And you've been going for that okey-doke for at least eight years now. And that's exactly what it is. It's an okey-doke. And you're still going for it. And if that's you, after understanding what black folks used to do in the 1920s, all the way up through the 40s and the 50s, and they kept fighting, and they got the breakthrough in the 60s before... Before and then they started becoming what we have now. You're not black. You're the melanated pet of a white progressive. And 
that's it's terrible what you're doing. It really is. But the sad part is you give your political support 85% minimum to people who are determined to keep you keep you in that mindset. I don't know what to say to you. So, let me move on to a different topic. <laughs> let me talk about Blue, uh, Drew Brees for a minute. Um, Drew Brees, the perception, I mean, I'd say it because I don't know Drew Brees. I'm only going on what's reported. I hate a jelly bag. I do. I, I, I can't stand I can't stand a jelly bag. I don't care what color he is. I don't care. I don't care what gender he or she is. I don't care. I just don't like jelly bag people. If you believe in something, then believe in it. I'd rather you believe in something that's just flat out wrong, like Black Lives Matter, and really believe in it than to go back and forth on it and back and forth on it to the point where nobody understands whether or not you believe anything at all. Drew Brees actually came out and said, you know, you want to protest, that's fine. Keep the flag out of it. I, I got no respect for people who protest, uh, protest the American flag. And the interesting thing to me is all the Kaepernickers who were always trying to tell me that he wasn't disrespecting the flag, then why are you upset with um, Drew Brees? Because he said, you know, because if, if your protest doesn't disrespect the flag, he's cool with that. He says, just don't disrespect the flag. Well, if Kaepernick wasn't disrespecting the flag, why are you mad at Drew Brees? Why did all the folks in the NFL get mad at Drew Brees when he said he didn't? he's not going to respect folks who disrespect the flag? If you're not disrespecting the flag with your protest, why are you upset? But that's a different aspect of it. My problem right now is, after he said that, stand-up statement. I'm for my country. Doesn't mean I'm against you. I'm for my country. But as soon as the black folk in the NFL heard about that, and of course now the NFL, Roger Goodell's on, oh gosh, bless me, bless him help him move him some as soon as everybody got wind of that and started chirping about it all of a sudden Drew Brees ah you know um, I want to apologize I'm tired of white folks apologizing one of the reasons black folks cannot move forward I'm going to say this somebody's going to get upset one of the primary reasons black folks cannot move forward is I have white progressive knuckleheads sitting up here sucking up as though the black issues matter. They don't. Police brutality is a lie. It's a flat out lie. Go look at the numbers if you don't believe me. The numbers don't bear you out. So if you're still up here protesting police brutality, you ignorant individual and for whites to 
And so here's the interesting thing about whites. Whites are not sneaky as much as they are informed. They're informed about what you're not, and they recognize that you choose not to be. You have to deal with you have to deal with black people today like they're women. They're so sensitive. There's all this emotionalism going on. So, well, you know, um, people know that the black that that the uh, police brutality stuff is a lie. They know this, but they can't say it to you because you're not ready to be honest. You're not ready to look at what the real problems are and deal with them. So you're going to keep talking about stuff that doesn't even matter. And it's disgusting to see all these black millionaires who ain't facing nothing. Trying to talk about how they, how, you know, it's, it's so tough for us. How's it tough for you? Explain that. How, how, how is that tough? For, how is it tough for you? I don't think it is. And it's definitely not tough for, for Drew Brees. And he's made himself look like something less than a man. Why does that bother me? Because you've made football. Take Drew Brees out of it. Do you understand how, how important American football is to American character? And there's been a war on football for at least a decade plus. Well, we got to worry about concussions. Really? Been playing football for a hundred years. Now you got to worry about concussions. Oh, okay. We don't. We 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 have to protect the quarterback. Why? There's no shortage of quarterbacks. Put no, no, no. You you don't understand. See, when I was when and I, I'm not trying to say that I that I'm still in football shape or anything else. The toughest guy on the field had to be the quarterback because he knew everybody was coming for him. If somebody could light up a quarterback, you would make that dude's whole day. So guess what? You had a bullseye on you, and unless you had a really good offensive line, you were going to take some punishment. And if you couldn't handle it, there were other positions to play. Now we got a bunch of wuss individuals playing quarterback. They're not tough. They're not strong because you can't touch them. They hurt themselves. They trip over stuff and hurt themselves. They're not getting hit. And if somebody does hit them, it's a 15-yard penalty for hitting a... Man. Why does that matter? Because football to this country is where we sent young men to learn how to overcome obstacles as a team. That's not what's happening anymore. And we sent those young men to overcome their obstacles as a team so that when they got older and the game was no longer safe for them to play, that they had developed skills that they had developed, they knew how to work with other men and could actually be a benefit to society. The NFL right now is a drag on society. The same for the NBA. Major League Baseball, not so much. The NHL, not so much. But this is a problem. 
it really is a problem. Because we don't have manhood in this country the way we're supposed to anymore. Where a man has an opinion, he states his opinion, you don't have to like it, but he doesn't have to change it either. And he doesn't have to apologize for being for being someone with whom you disagree. Bump you. You don't like what he has to say? Don't deal with him. Yeah, but Drew Brees, you better change because his receivers don't like it. Let me ask you a question. What's more important to the New Orleans Saints? Another year or two of Drew Brees? Or these knucklehead receivers who are a dime a dozen? And don't tell me they're not. I don't care about the receivers. Now, to be honest with you, Drew Brees is so old, I don't know about him. But the backup of Drew Brees is Jameis Winston. The guy throws 30 interceptions a year. Who do you think is more important to that team? And if you want to say we're supposed to respect people when they speak their minds and, and, and have, their, have their say, how come Drew Brees has to apologize to be accepted by, by black players? Is that what we're talking about now? He's got to kiss their behinds? That's not the way men work. And that's not the way football is supposed to work. You don't kiss anybody's behind in football. You got a problem? Go work it out. Go fight it out. But you deal with it. And that's not what happens anymore. And that lack of manhood is exactly why you have as many blacks having problems with the cops as you see. As, as you see. Don't know how to deal with men. You got you have young males who don't know how to deal with men. Arguing with police officers. What kind of a what kind of a knucklehead thing is that to do? Amon Arbery, straight knucklehead, arguing with police officers who don't even have a beef with him. Well, you know, that didn't have anything to do with why he got killed. You think not. You think that somebody who doesn't know how to deal with a man with a gun? When the guy's not trying to harm him. Well, they were going to kill him. They were trying to kill him. You don't know that. And when the trial starts and you find out that that's not what was going on, what are you going to say? Let me put this out here and make it exceedingly clear. For all black folks who are looking at all these pre-trial motions in the case of Armand Arbery and George Floyd, and they're just salivating. See, I knew, I knew. Do you not recognize that pretrial motions, by definition, have the prosecution putting their case out there for everybody to see it, and the defense is taking copious notes? Oh, that's what they're going to argue. That's what I need to deal with. Got it. And the defense doesn't have to say anything at all because they don't have anything they have to prove. So when you're getting all emotional and all all hyped up and getting all convinced there's going to be a conviction, you don't get it. That's like one team spreading out their playbook in front of another. And what do you think's going to happen? You saying they're going to get they're going to get acquitted? I'm saying I don't know. But I'm not going to sit there and make my determination based on a pretrial motion. I'll wait for the trial. 
And there was a time when we used to do stuff like that. Unfortunately, that's gotten away from us. Now we run riots. And now we have people like Kiki Palmer uh, getting a bunch of um, National Guardsmen to take a knee with her. And she's sitting in there um, trying to shame them into marching with them. And that and these knuckleheads actually took a knee. Man, you better be glad I'm not still in the military because if that had been me and I was associated with that National Guard unit, every one of them would have been on the next thing smoking back home. I said, I don't need y'all jellybacks out here. We're here to control a situation. We're not here to become part of the situation. Man up. Well, they want us to march with them. I don't care what that girl wanted. Bump her. You want to march? You march. We're not here to be marching. Don't you want to show solidarity? I'm not here for solidarity. Why do I want to show solidarity for a movement that is so out of control that the National Guard has to be in place? I ain't trying to be in solidarity with you. I'm trying to make sure you don't cause nothing else to pop off up in here. All right. I'm going to get in trouble. That's my show. (laughs) God bless you. God keep you. And until next week, do take care. This is the seditious, rabble-rousing, liberty-loving, home of fun, entertaining, and compelling talk. Mojo Five-O.